Hi, my friends. Perhaps you're surprised to hear my voice here, but I thought after sending swarms of proud Indians on poor Jason's uh, bottom in our grudge match, it would only be fair to also introduce you sorry wargamers to the pleasures of Eurogaming. So I am proud to present this 30-minute review of We Feed the Hungry Hippos. Let's start with the board. Only kidding, folks. In fact, I've been invited by the great Jason and Scott to talk about one topic that is sometimes considered to be the sorry little brother of wargaming, namely fantasy and SF wargames. I'm going to call this feature Orc to Orc, Fantasy and SF Wargaming. I'm in fact a big fan of fantasy cosims and all many of the classic games up to the more modern ones. I'm also of the opinion that many of the classic fantasy wargames are still unparalleled to this day in scope and detail, even if the game material has become more fancier and the rulebooks more colorful. So I want to begin this series with one of my all-time favorite games in this genre, the legendary game Dragon Pass, a game sans orcs, by the way. But it has giant spiders, giants and uh, ducks galore. Dragon Pass takes place in the fantasy world of Glorantha, a place that many roleplayers will immediately remember as being the setting for the classic RuneQuest roleplaying game, which was actually my personal first entry in the fantasy roleplaying genre. Glorantha is the invention of Greg Stafford and grew out of a series of fantasy novels that he wrote but apparently couldn't get published. Glorantha is one of the more unusual fantasy worlds, less hack-and-slay fantasy and more mythical and magical than many other worlds. And it has survived proudly unto this day, with contributions from players all over the world creating one of the most detailed fantasy worlds in existence. In Glorantha, magic is all over the place. Even normal warriors tend to know little of it, even if it is only a minor rune magic. There's also the concept of hero quests, which often take place in the realm of the spirits instead of the real world, and the exploits in these quests have been clearly inspired by tales like the classic Gilgamesh epos. Glorantha is crowded with the most amazing races and creatures as well as mighty gods and demigods who vie for power and influence over the various races. Some of these creatures are so strange and unusual that it will be difficult to find an equivalent in other fantasy worlds. Let's suffice it to say that they are rather unique. Now to the wargame Dragon Pass, which in its original form was called White Bear and Red Moon and depicts the wars between the semi-barbarian Sartarian people from the Dragon Pass and the ancient Rome-like Lunar Empire with some independent races thrown into the fray. This was the first game that Greg Stafford published with his friends and it was published in a form that we today would call desktop publishing, a cheap map, photocopied rules manual and cheap counters. Still, this game stood at the beginning of the company Chaosium which became one of the most important publishers in the 80s, later producing hits like Call of Cthulhu and, of course, the RuneQuest role-playing game. The first form of the game was already extremely detailed regarding world history and map, but the wargame rules itself were rather lame based on a standard odds CRT of the time and led to some strange gamey things like dozens of attacking counters wiped out by one single botched attack roll. Still, this was the standard of the time, and SPI was not much further, to be honest. Dissatisfied, Stafford and his co-designers did a rework of the game that later became the basis for the most popular edition of the game, or at least the most widely available edition, named Dragon Pass, and published by Avalon Hill in its prime years. This edition has a mounted, though rather crowded, board, 
relatively coherent and rather advanced rules and at the same time preserving the cute artwork of the original. This edition later became the base for the French editions, which probably are the easiest to find nowadays. Dragon Pass is very much a classic hex encounter war game. There are different scenarios and rising complexity that slowly build up to the full game scenario, a 28 turn monster that probably will take a full day to play. But don't despair, most scenarios play rather quickly and can be finished in one to two hours. The combat rules are quite intricate and feature many different phases that represent the different styles of combat. All the usual features that one would expect are here. Units exert a zone of control and terrain affects defense and attack values. But the combat sequence is quite a monster and will take a while to get used to. I would compare it in complexity to the combat sequence in a game like Fire in the Sky, where each single step is actually quite simple, but where it is extremely difficult to judge the impact of different combat phases. First, there is a chaotic magic phase, in which chaotic magic units simply kill units without rolling any dice. Yes, life or a counter can be pretty short in Dragon Pass. Then, there is a physical magic phase, in which so-called agents of magicians, for example the sylphs commanded by the children of the wind, are sent forth to attack hapless units. These agents can't be killed when attacking the hardy buggers. Then, there is a spirit magic phase in which magicians send their disembodied spirits to wreak havoc on usually non-magic wielding units, as attacking magical units usually means a counter-attack and that can kill the spirit. These two phases could be compared to off-board and on-board artillery in classical wargames. Then, there is an archery phase in which adjacent archers may inflict disrupt results before the last combat phase begins the skirmish. Strangely enough, this is the only way to actually achieve disrupt results with a combat. The skirmish rules restrict the number of units that can take part or that can be held in reserve. There are also extensive retreat rules. The old odd CRT has been replaced with a more contemporary CRT that uses damage points instead of elimination results, much like many card-driven wargames like Paths of Glory, for example. But here the ratio is much wilder and still produces crazy results although not as crazy as in the first version of the game. Basically, a unit does at least damage equal to one-sixth of its strength up to its full strength, so one can engineer surefire attacks. But beware of defending units survive, they immediately counterattack at double strength. Any wargamer will feel right at home here, the rules try to be relatively realistic, and one can effectively play very tactically with mixed troops of course achieving the best results. Now enter the heroes and superheroes, which is where we enter the realm of fantasy. In this game, heroes equal an army in power, and superheroes are five times that strong. The three superheroes in this game have a strength of 20, which is nearly seven times as much as a small infantry unit. They also protect units from magic, negate terrain effects, can survive being killed, and so on. In short, the stacks with your heroes are the most important units in the game. Fortunately, there is some strong magic that can be employed against these super units, although the best tactic is usually to surround them with weak units that simply hinder their advance or to attack them with your own super stack. But the game becomes even wider when all the magical beings appear. Not only do the Lunar and Sartre units employ units like the Crater Makers or the Stormwalkers, who can erase whole stacks of units without rolling a die, there are also many, many independent units that can be hired using a simple but ingenious diplomacy system where one either sends em emissaries to independent nations or secretly allocates diplomacy points. Your emissaries can be eaten, by the way, if the approach being has a bad hair day. 
In the full game all these units can appear and I can tell you experiencing the full Dragon Pass game is as close as you can get being on drugs as a wargamer without actually using drugs. There are, and this is only a small selection, dwarves with alchemic weapons and cannons, extremely powerful dragons who can gobble up whole armies, giants which can cover huge distances in one move, there is the cult of crack spiders or the earth shakers, there are centaurs, an ancient race of dragon youths which has developed a kind of teleport highway system, dinosaurs from an ancient time, ducklings which look exactly like Donald Ducks with javelins but also independent characters like Sir Ethelrist and his band, the hellhound which can only be tamed by a character called Kena then and if things get desperate you can always call Hungry Jack the giant pumpkin who draws armies into his bottomless maw. Even this list can only be a small impression of the varied and completely crazy, but strangely never silly characters that appear in this game, all with special abilities. I think they beat the killer penguins of swords and sorcery any time. This is a game by SPI, by the way. Suffice it to say that the heroes are as wild and weird as the monsters. One of the heroes of the Lunar Empire is, for example, Beatpot Erwin a kitchen slave who led a revolution against the Empire but now fights for it with a helm that is simply a pot, accompanied by his lover, the amazing Jar-Eel the Razoress, who keeps him as a kind of droll sex slave. And I should not even begin about Androgeus, who is both man and woman and one of the most powerful beings on the board. But we also have more conventional heroes. If you're in Conan mood, try Herod the Berserk, who is the most important superhero of the Sartar army, the white bear of the original title. You might think that this game is thoroughly chaotic, and yes, it is, much like in the game that stole many ideas from it, Divine Right. The board situation and the alliances can change quickly, but still at its heart it always remains the tactical war game that Divine Right never was. To give you an example, to win, one has always to be very aware of the current magical powers employed by the enemy. With beings like the crater makers around, it is usually good to spread your army around into little units, but once they're gone, you're much better off with huge stacks which command more firepower. Each turn one has to react to a different tactical task, while at the same time going for real wargame goals like conquering fortresses and strong points. Solid field tactics will actually win the day. In short, this game never gets dull, it will keep astonishing you every minute and the nasty surprises that you and your opponent dish out against each other never end. For simple wargame enjoyment, this is probably as detailed as it ever gets in fantasy wargaming. So if you have any love for heroic fantasy that goes beyond the usual cliches, try Dragon Pass. You won't rue it. There's a sister game called Nomad Gods, which adds another map and new crazy units. It is also more suited for multiplayer games, whereas Dragon Pass is at its heart a two-player game. A third game, Lords of Fate, about an island empire, has only been announced but never produced. But in Board Game Geek, there are rumors about the reimagining of Dragon Pass as a new board game, and apparently a designer is working on it right now. I keep you posted. The original game can be difficult to get, but not as difficult as games like Titan. And perhaps Valley Games will reprint it. For now, I hope you enjoyed this little excursion in fantasy territory, and I return you to your regularly scheduled point-to-point -point podcast, Die Ork.